Hi everyone, and welcome to this latest episode of Coaching in Focus. I'm Joseph Grack, your host, and on today's episode, I am talking to Claire Patrick. So I first found out about Claire when a lot of our trainees were talking about Claire's book, Simplifying Coaching. And I took the opportunity to reach out to Claire and invite her to our podcast, which she very kindly agreed to. Now, this episode is great. We talk a lot about this idea of what we refer to our clients, what we call our clients. And Claire has got this wonderful way of referring to clients as thinkers. We also talk about why this is important and some of the issues, some of the subtle issues with naming clients as coaches, for example. I also really like the way that Claire and I talk about being in the flow of a coaching session. So finding that flow with your client and really trusting your client with that process in a way that stops us from interfering, from getting in the way of the thinker going through that coaching session. So let's listen in to the conversation with Claire and myself. Claire, let me introduce you, first of all, <laughs> because I'm here with Claire Pedrick. Um, Claire, you're a coach, you're a mentor, you're a supervisor, um, over 30 years of coaching experience as well. And you have written one of my favorite books on coaching, which I have got here, and it's called Simplifying Coaching. And if you don't have it, please do get a copy because it is so useful. As a starting point, can I ask, what got you to write the book? Somebody asked me to. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I had this vision that you had this idea and you really wanted to push forward with it. <laughs> How did that happen, though? Tell me a little more. Well, I'd had it on my computer in little bits and pieces for a long time, and I didn't write it because I, I kept learning more things that would make me want to change it. So I didn't mm. want to put something out in the world. I'm not a perfectionist. It makes me sound like a perfectionist, but I'm not a perfectionist. But I kept... Because I keep learning something. I thought, well, if you put it in the book, there's still more to learn, so... You know, when do you draw the line? So we created a set of postcards with some simple principles of coaching on, like ask them. Mm-hmm. Cool. <laughs> cool thing to do, right? <laughs> and when it's over, it's over. Mm. And be silent and ask questions where necessary. And that kind of gave people a sense of what was the simple principles of coaching. Mm-hmm. So so it was never then my intention to write a book. I kind of thought about it sometimes, but yeah, I wasn't going to do it. And then an editor approached me at con- conference and she said, have you got a book in you? So I went, well, funny you should say that. <laughs> because? <laughs> because I could have. Yeah. And it was a really easy book to write because it was inside me. So all I needed to do was get it out. I'm writing another one now that's not inside me, so that's harder. <laughs> well, it's sort of half well, inside me. <laughs> well, we look forward to reading that one too as well when it comes out. We'll put a, a note in our show notes when, when it's out as well. And I think you can really tell that. One of the things I really like about this book is the way that you have got these kind of snippets of case studies or, or, or kind of specific language and how that can be changed. And I think that is what makes it really helpful because it moves from just a theory to very quickly you can picture the scenario that you're in. I think what I know now that I didn't know when I wrote it and Mm. that I didn't know before COVID and that I didn't know before I started doing hundreds of webinars around the world 
is that actually I don't think it's rocket science Mm -hmm. to be able to communicate something that's complicated in a simple way. But what I've realized is that perhaps it's more rocket science than it feels. So Mm -hmm. this morning I was working with some internal coaches in an organization and I said, you just need to be clear about when's the conversation moving forwards because it needs to be future focused. And if you can feel it's going backwards, then you need to do something about it. And they all went, that's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) And they're going, that's so clear because now when I think about my coaching, I recognize sometimes we are going backwards. And Mm. I said, well, if they're going backwards and you're going forwards, you're going to get stuck. And they go, oh. (laughs) It makes complete sense, right? But it's also the way that for us, I suppose, coaches, we've been trained to kind of think about the future, think about future, you know, the element of goal setting, et cetera. But we can get lost in the conversation because we focus so much on following a model for a a particular structure. So in terms of, I mean, there's something, there's a few key areas in the book that I would like to explore. Uh, And the first one, which I think is so useful to think about, is this idea around the coach trusting the process. That is not about the coach. It's not about a technique, but it's about the process. But what does actually really mean? Do you see what I mean there? Like, what does actually trusting the process mean? What it means is that the clever things we do don't necessarily make any difference. (laughs) So if coaching is a conversation where somebody feels heard and where they get new insights into their own stuff, we need to find a way of them feeling heard, which coaches are good at, but then we need to find a way of them moving forward in their thinking. But once Mm. they're in flow, they're in flow. Mm. And once they're in flow, it doesn't really matter what I do or don't do as long as I don't stop them being in flow the flow will create the momentum. So it's like a river. You know, if you can get that little stick in the middle of the river, it's the river that carries the stick down the water and it's it's the river that allows it to do the distance. And that's like trusting the process in coaching. We need to find the flow together. And once they found the flow, we found the flow, we let them go in it. Yeah. And we stop interfering. And that's what came to mind. I was noticing when I've been in sessions myself and I've actually interrupted the flow, either because I've asked a convoluted question, joining A, B and C, for example, or when I took them back to something. uh, So you can see when you're getting in the way of the process. Yeah. So let me share something I'm, I'm now able to articulate more clearly. I think in every coaching session, there is one moment. And that's the moment when they get in flow and off they go. But that could be all kinds of moments. It isn't that there's one moment that we're aiming for this particular spot and at that spot, it'll all move forward. It, it could be any kind of a moment, but it is a moment. Yeah. yeah. And once they've done that, then they just get on with it. But often just before that moment it can feel a bit uncomfortable because we feel as though we're not quite there and it's a bit tricky and it's a bit difficult. And that's the moment where we are most likely to try and be clever. And when we try and be clever, what we can actually do is sabotage the moment where the flow will begin. Yeah. And by trying to be clever, it could be things like interrupting, introducing a model or... What do you mean? Well, it could be their idea is almost always better than my idea. And my job is to help them access their idea. So, yeah, it might be 
oh, I've got a model that, as, as, they, as you're talking, this model's emerging for me, and I'm sure that my model is going to be exactly what you need to be able to get where you need to be. But in the moment, before the moment, the one thing that we've got to do is to stop distracting them <laughs> because otherwise they're on the way to flow and they'll turn around and they'll look at us. Mm. And that's what I mean by being clever because I think we sometimes think we add value by what we do or what we're seen to do. And actually we add value by what they do. So it's so upside down, it's quite difficult to get your head around, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a conversation I have with our students. I kind of, because they go, why shouldn't I tell them what to do? I said, well, <laughs> because although I can see the, um, the intention is to help, but actually by telling somebody and sort of asking, you're not helping, you're in a way dehumanizing, you are making it easy for somebody not to get to their own answers. And then next time they're going to be in the same situation all over again and they've not got anything out of it and it's a tricky one particularly because in organizations we have been trained to do that right to problem solve to manage to tell people what to do in a way so it's it's unlearning what we what we've been trained on and really focusing on that person and we think that that's what makes a good colleague Mm. and suddenly we're saying that what makes a good coach is the ability to let go and let someone else do the work well that's weird yeah. So also I'm thinking about my manager. So I'm thinking about what made a good manager for me is the manager that let me get on with it, that asked for my advice, that asked for my support, and they didn't tell me what to do, essentially. Yeah, they gave parameters around it, which is similar in a way. You know, in your book, you talk about right-sizing. Yeah. Um, uh, and I really like that concept. You know, we do have, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but we do have some kind of boundaries or some structures that we can support in the session. But that shouldn't get in the way of the individual moving forward. No. So we do the right sizing. Mm-hmm. And then nine times out of ten, we discover that's not the work we need to be doing. <laughs> but we know we're flying over the boundary because we set the boundary. Mm. So then we can go, it seems that we need to do this. What is it we need to do? And then you can right size again. But without those boundaries, you don't know if you're getting close to the edge or not. And then you end up going all over the place. That's why coaching sessions take three hours with some coaches, because it takes all that time to find out what the work is. Now, with some clients, that's true. Mm. Some people need a three-hour session because they need a three-hour session. But some people need a three-hour session because we're so unclear what we're doing. And if we'd asked them what we were doing at the beginning, we could have had a 20-minute session. Yeah. So would you say, going back to the moment earlier, one of the things that a coach can try and develop themselves on is to understand when the moment before the moment is happening and try to get there in a way, not early in the conversation, as soon as possible in a way? I think don't miss the moment. Mm. So one of the things I'm learning about recordings is watching gallery view Mm-hmm. the coach and the thinker in gallery view, which is tricky to record because when you're recording, you don't want to see yourself. Yeah. So you have to put a book over yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but when you watch it back, you can see in gallery view whether you're missing the moment and it's to do with are you handing the conversation between you mm-hmm. or are you are you talking over their thinking or are you thinking over there talking? It's very interesting. 
are you okay let me dissect that down so are you thinking over your yes exactly so your own thoughts are actually getting in the way yeah again. so so while they're talking you need mm -hmm. to be looking Mm -hmm. So we need to be looking all the time. And that's an amazing gift that online has given us because we can we can really develop the art of looking online in a different way because on site it can feel a bit stary-outy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, but you can take the learning from online and then you can move it to on site. But the transformation is seen in the eyes, so we need to be looking all the time. And, of course, culturally, there are cultures where looking, you know, isn't an okay thing to do. But I'm staring you out now, and you don't feel like that, I no, hope. No, no, no. It's, it's a comfortable <laughs> level of staring. <laughs> but also because we've built that trust, right, as well, between yeah. us. I'm going to pick on the point that you just mentioned now, the thinker. Yeah. A lot of coaches will talk about their clients in a way as a thinker for something that you mentioned in the book as well. Tell me a bit more about it. Well, it started out when I started doing a lot of work with internal coaches. Because when you're coaching a colleague, you cannot call them a client because they're not, they're a colleague. And then I went to a conference where some people were talking about supervision and mentoring and coaching. And my job at the conference was to do the keynote at the end of the day and they wanted me to have gone to lots of sessions to do a keynote at the end of the day but also to connect to what was said in other sessions through the day. So I'm at this session and the people who are presenting are talking about supervisors and supervisees, coaches and coaches, mentors and mentees and I've never felt that comfortable but I was using those words. And at the end of the session, it was coffee. And I turned to the guy next to me and I said, how did you find this morning's session? And he said, I came to this conference, not because I'm a coach or a mentor or a supervisor, but because I think I might want one. Mm. And I'm not an E. So he had sat through an hour's session with people talking about him endlessly, labelling him as a supervisee, a coachee, and a mentee, and he felt quite insulted by that. And that yeah. made me really think, how can we call people a name when they're not there that we wouldn't want to call them when they were there? And actually, that name for me, and I know not everyone agrees with me, but for me, I cannot, I cannot label people like that because it feels mm. as though they're a small version of me. So I'm a coach and you're a coachee. Mm. And I don't like interviewee or any, I don't like any of those words because actually I'm a person and you're a person and we are in conversation that happens to be about you and not about me. But I think we accidentally disempower people by what we call them. Yeah. And I'm very wise, you see, because I've got a lot of tools and techniques, mm. which I'll do to my coachee. And it's completely like, where's the partnership in there? You know, power, control, all of these things that can yeah. get in the way just because of the word that we use. Yeah, we need to be equal enough. Do you know, there's a thing called one-upmanship that was created by a comedy writer in 1952 called Stephen Potter, and he wrote a funny book about one-upmanship that then was made into a sitcom in the UK. And the thing about that is it's about being one-up, but there's a real danger in coaching that I'm one up because I'm a bit of an expert in this process. Mm. But mm. when I become one up, you become one down. 
And then you start thinking I'm an expert. And then I wonder why the work isn't working and why you're not doing the work and the work isn't working and you're not doing the work because you think that's my job because you think I've got more power than you. So we've just got to equalize. And that's also tiring, right? As in, you know, when I'm working with my own, I was going to say trainees, but now I'm thinking about (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, our own uh, coaches, because they are coaches ultimately, right? Sometimes um, they will say to me, that was a really hard session. It was tough, not because of the content, because of how they felt. And I do ask the question, well, how much of it were you holding? And I think that power in a way or this kind of one-upmanship means that we are a little bit more in control. So we tire a lot more. It's kind of the opposite of simplifying coaching, right? We are making the process harder for ourselves. And when we're doing more thinking than the thinker, what are we doing? Exactly. That's the exact example. And I and I would listen into the conversation or view it, and you'd notice that the coach would be asking question after question, and the client or the thinker would be just kind of taking a step back and waiting for the coach to do the thinking. It becomes a pattern. Yeah. And we've got a terrible problem in coaching mm. <laughs> or a good challenge or whatever mm-hmm. you like to call, call it, and that's mm-hmm. that people will answer the questions that they're asked. Yes even if they're not useful. So we just need to be very careful, I think, about what we do ask. Mm. Bearing that in mind, what question could I ask you right now (sighs) that you feel would be particularly useful, especially for people who are new to coaching? Oh, my giddy aunt. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) We're seizing the moment. Can I just say I hate that question in coaching because sometimes the sometimes the person who's being coached really responds to that, and sometimes they go, "What?" Yeah. Okay. So, what question could I you ask me now that would support new coaches? If you're interested in becoming a professional ICF coach, then we have a number of great programs that will help you get there. The first step tends to be our Level One Diploma in Integrative Coaching, and this one is delivered over a number of evenings and Saturday mornings throughout the year. Typically, a program takes around three to four months to complete. You can then keep on developing yourself with our Level 2 Advanced program. And this one leads all the way to PCC accreditation by the ICF. Furthermore, we have a number of different ways how we can support your development through CPD programs such as our certificates, in career coaching, performance coaching, stress and well-being coaching, and organizational coaching. We also have a number of supervision and mentoring programs for you. We'll leave a link in the show notes if you're interested. You see, I'm now thinking about what's the answer, and then I'm going, what's the answer, and then therefore what's the question you can ask me? Uh, which is ask me something else. Which is interesting itself, right? Um, and I wonder whether that, because you mentioned it when we use that in a coaching session, I wonder that would help the thinker think more or whether they become more self-conscious, whether they become more, it depends on the person, I suppose. Yeah. And it also depends on the moment. Mm. So in the right moment, they know what that is because it's emerging for them. And sometimes it's, what's the question you don't want me to ask you right now? Yeah. And they'll be able to tell you that really easily. Yeah. But I think sometimes coaches ask that in a sort of lull. Mm. 
So if you ask that as you're as you're getting to the peak of the moment, they'll know because you've both gone up that hill and you'll have a bit of a sense together. But if you ask them in a lull, they won't have any better idea than you do. Yeah, it's uh, if we're using as one of those questions because we don't know what to say. Yeah. Then, uh... Is getting in the way. Can we also talk a little bit if that's okay? Because something that I find really useful is to talk about endings. I know yeah. that's something I find that sometimes coaches don't do as much. And I really like these steps that you look at around ending, like a simple ending, ending in partnership. So the ICF talk about ending in partnership. None of the other professional bodies talk about it at all. Mm. So there's a lot of talk about ending the relationship, but even the ICF aren't cl- aren't they're only a little bit clear on ending the session. But if we don't end the session in partnership, somewhere between the beginning and the end, we fell out of partnership and it probably mm. wasn't in the last minute. Mm. Yeah. yeah, We've probably fallen out of partnership before. And ending well and checking in are completely, totally connected. So the biggest challenge for, for really brilliant coaches is that you're so good at creating trust and rapport that the thinker has absolutely no idea what's the time. Mm -hmm. So you're coaching me. I don't know if we've been here for five minutes or five hours. I have no idea. And because I'm so engaged in the process, I'm not looking. So every time you ask me a question, I kind of go deeper. And this is a wonderful, deeply exploring, exploring thing. And then you say, so, Claire, we've got five minutes to go. Um, We can't possibly do credit to your very big problem in this very short time. You better come back next week. Mm. And I do exactly what you told me, which is stop thinking and come back next week. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So so checking in, if, if we're going to stay in partnership, we have to check in right the way through the conversation. And we need to talk about the end from the middle. Yes. Yeah, yeah, spot on. I, I, um, I, I think it's something that's so important. When I'm listening into sessions, <laughs> it's quite funny also how it becomes a bit like an ultimatum. We've got five minutes to go. <laughs> and you're like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it almost always sounds like scarcity. Mm-hmm. And often you hear the thinker apologise. Yeah. So they'll go, oh, I'm really sorry I got carried away. No, they have no reason to be sorry, and they did not get carried away, but the coach wasn't clear enough where they were in the process of the conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think we often extend the middle because the person hasn't got transformation, and we think, oh, if we only extend it another 10 minutes, they'll get somewhere, but they don't. And they don't because transformation often happens when we start to end. Yeah. What about transformation between sessions as oh, well? well? What do you know about <laughs> I think it's the most wonderful thing and I think it happens all the time and I think we pretend it doesn't. Yeah. I mean, it depends on the coaching school and ICF coaches do this less, although it still happens, where they say, well, we had a, we had a coaching agreement for six sessions and we were talking about confidence in being a leader. Mm-hmm. So the coach says, we have a coaching agreement. So the coach picks up and says, well, last time, so the coach starts, who speaks first, power, partnership. The coach says, last time we talked about this, we said that this time we were going to talk about that, so let's do that. That, I'm afraid, is leading. Very much so. (laughs) (laughs) So number one, 
if you did a really good session last time with a good ending, they will have done some really good work after that. And you've no idea where they are now unless you say, so what insights have you had since last time? And therefore, what do we need to do today? Mm. And I did a, a demo this morning and it was a 10 minute coaching session. We only met once before. I've never coached her. And she had her insight with about 90 seconds to go, which was high stakes because there were people watching. <laughs> and what was absolutely clear was that she hadn't had time to land the insight. Mm -hmm. So we ended the session, which was the right thing to do and which I would have done if we'd been in a coaching relationship outside the training room. But then I said to her, I wonder whether you need to just spend five minutes on your own while the others go away and talk about what they learned. And the best bit of the coaching session happened in that five minutes. Of course it did, because she'd started to move. And in that five minutes on her own, without me, she continued to move. Yeah. So I think, yes, transformation happens outside the coaching process, but we need to, number one, acknowledge it. And number two, encourage them that that's a thing so that they make sure that they don't go into, a into the next meeting one minute after the session, at which point they lose the learning that's about to emerge. Mm. And also we need to be attentive to it when we pick up next time because they need to go first and not reporting back. What have you done since last time? Mm. I have mm. eaten seven meals mm. on Monday. I ate pasta. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know um, as, a, as, a, as an aside, it's so reassuring to hear you say that because it's something that I feel really passionately about, like this idea about homework and, you know, like you do, why are you doing all these things? A, it just adds more work. And plus, it's not respecting the individual, right? It's not respecting the person that they can go out and do it. And if you had a great coaching session, they've going to have not only got to where they want to get to, but they could have discovered all sorts of other different things in the process. Yeah, and that's about who takes the notes and all sorts of things. Oh. But the other thing that was really interesting this morning mm -hmm. in relation to homework so she said what she wanted, and I said, have you got a pen? Because it was clear that she was going to have to remember it. And about 30 seconds to go, I said, have you got what you need on your piece of paper? And she said, I've got three things. So she read out the three things that she got. And they were all quite transactional. Mm -hmm. And I said to her, what about the smile? So there was a moment about a minute before where she'd done this really beautiful smile but not said anything about what was going on for her. And what clearly had happened was the transformation had happened in that smiling moment. Mm. I don't know what it was. But what, she'd, what she reported was on the page, which I didn't ask her, she just told me, didn't sound like the smile. And I said, it's the smile on the list. And she laughed and she went, no. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's it. That's a great example of noticing, right? Like you yeah. notice something. Yeah. Um, and can I just say to your listeners, yeah. if, if you think that was a great question, please don't write it down because it will never, ever work for anyone again. <laughs> because that was, that was the right question in the moment. Yeah. Because I saw something move in the smile and then I saw her not take any notice of it. Mm. Mm. <laughs> but... When you have a moment like that, it look it'll look different, and the thing you need to say will be different from that. So yeah. please, please, please don't record that. 
Yeah. As in on a piece of paper and go, oh, Claire Pedrick asked that question. I must ask it too. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, and it's a good example, again, how to simplify the process, right? Because otherwise you'd be thinking of the question, you're not thinking about the person in front of you and you're just trying to shut the question in. I honestly and absolutely truly believe that the best questions come from the thinker. They mm -hmm. come from what we see and what we hear and what we sense. Mm. And pretty much they don't come from anywhere else. And on one level, that's really simple. On another level, that is the journey of a lifetime to be able yeah. to, to get skillful enough. And I don't always see them, but we need to stop thinking that the wisdom is somewhere else because the wisdom is in the person that we're working with. You've also mentioned something that I think is key because sometimes, for those of you who haven't perhaps read the book, this idea of simple it's actually not easy. Right? <laughs> Doing something as simple does not equate to it being easy. Yeah. There is a difference between the two, yeah. Um, yeah. which you also refer to in the book. And I think it's, a, it's an interesting kind of concept. Uh, well, it's an important one to bear in mind. But the thing I like about it, Joseph, is that so when I'm training coaches, when I do a demo at the beginning of the training, they go, mm -hmm. oh, my goodness, that's really complicated. And I could never do that. And then at the end of the training, they watch, a they watch another demonstration and they go, I absolutely, totally and completely understand everything that you're doing. And I'm not sure I can actually do any of those things. <laughs> <laughs> Conscious um, incompetence, right? That's the... <laughs> but they can. But the thing, I really, the thing I really, really like about that is that they look at it and they totally understand all of it. Mm -hmm. They totally understand where those questions came from and what made them work and all of those things that they can see the flow. And then it's much easier to get to continue on the journey to learning to be that simple yeah. because you've seen it and you understand that there's a route to do that. Yeah. Um, because I think when we see things that look complicated and magic, we're kind of grabbing things that make us think, oh, if I do that, it will work. And if I do that, it will work. But we actually lose the focus on the main thing, which is mm, mm. this person feeling heard and getting new insights into their own stuff. Because that's all that this amazing thing that we do is. It's not anything else. Yeah, yeah. It's not as, it's not as mystical or magical as sometimes other people, you know, it's a, it's a conversation. Yeah, and, you know, when somebody goes, oh, that was amazing... You know, that's a really lovely piece of feedback to get. But actually, I want what we have done together to be simple enough for that for them to recognize that that was them being amazing. Yeah, and that, that I accountability. Yeah, I was just here to, to support that to happen, really, and then get out the way. Mm. I never want to be working with people where it feels to them as I, though I'm doing magical things. Because mm. mm. how much more wonderful is it for the thinker to know that they have created that? Yes, you supported them. You're a bit of a conduit to it, but it's it's them who did it. Yeah. And really believing that. Yeah. Yeah. And if and if we're doing things, you know, if we're getting into this one upmanship, if we're putting too many structures in there, then that takes away from the individual. Yeah. It makes mm. them think they can't do it without us. And actually what I want more than anything else when I coach people is for them to believe they can do it themselves. And it may be that in a few months or years they need to come back for a bit more about something, but that's fine. But for now, I want them to be absolutely knowing that they've got this. 
That's a really wonderful place. I'm, I'm, I am noticing the time. Talking about earlier when we said time flies, <laughs> I'm also noticing the time. So um, I think that's a lovely way how to start wrapping our conversation um, today. Thank you, Claire, for you know, spending a little bit of time to talk about this. And if you'd like to, once a new book is out as well, uh, it'd be great to have you back on the podcast. We could talk about some themes. We'd one. love that. And, um, and I'll see you soon. Yeah, great. I hope that you got a lot from this episode with Claire. I really enjoyed the conversation that we had. And one thing that will stay with me is this idea of the client being the thinker and some of the challenges with calling the client a coachee. I found that really inspiring. The other part that I thought was really useful is around questions and how Claire says, just because she asks a question, it doesn't mean that it is the right question to ask. And I think some of us um, are quite guilty of that, that we hear a great question and then we tend to use it quite a lot. Um, but of course, there isn't a right question in a coaching context. There's these curious questions. It's these, these questions that land well in the moment. But actually, I think sometimes we all focus so much on finding that right question that it takes away from really being present with our client. Now, if you've enjoyed this episode, it would be fantastic if you could leave a comment or um, tell your friends about it. We'd love to spread the word about the podcast. And thank you for listening. I'll see you next time.